Hello everyone and welcome back to The Bridgehead. My name is Jonathan Van Maren and today we're going to be talking to a very special guest. She is a European academic and scholar and she is the author of a really magnificent book uh, called The Global Sexual Revolution, The Destruction of Freedom in the Name of Freedom. If you haven't read this book, I really do advise it because it gives you an idea of what is going on, not just here in, in North America, which is something that I write about a lot and I've had a lot of guests on to discuss, but what's actually going on across Europe, which is obviously something that uh, we're less in tune to because there's very few writers in Europe who are drawing attention to these things. And during uh, our discussion, you'll sort of get an idea of why. And her name is uh, Dr. Gabrielle Kuby. She was born in, in 1944 in Konstanz, Germany. And she's a German writer and sociologist. Uh, she actually speaks a lot on the traditionalist and orthodox positions on sexuality and gender. And the atmosphere in Europe is so hostile towards a lot of these things that she receives an extraordinary amount of threats. And she's, she's just incredibly courageous in the face of all this because these are topics that she really doesn't have to take on. Uh, these are topics that she's deciding to cover because she believes that somebody should be speaking the truth. And in an age where the discussion is almost primarily dominated by trans activists and gender ideologues, and when the, the majority of the politicians, the media, academia, have more or less bought into a lot of these theories and have essentially been waging a full-scale attack uh, on the family, the traditional family, for decades, it really is quite exceptional to see somebody come out and speak so articulately to the truths of what it means to be human, despite the backlash that is, at this point, nearly inevitable. And what a lot of people don't realize is that a scholar like uh, Dr. Akubi actually speaks for a lot more people than they might think. I remember when I was traveling in Serbia a little while ago, uh, this would be a couple of years ago now, uh, we had an unemployed engineer who took us around Belgrade uh, to just give us a tour of the city. And he started to talk about the European Union. And he said, look, the European Union offers us all of these things, but in exchange, we have to have, uh, you know, a very, very indecent and often obscene gay pride parades. And, and they're trying to force these uh, socially liberal values on us. And he said, uh, with some language that I won't use here on the air, why is this what they want us to have? And I actually think in this discussion, uh, the very interesting topic and very interesting fact gets brought up that this revolution was to a large degree a top-down revolution, unlike other revolutions uh, throughout human history. So this discussion, uh, I, I think, was incredibly well worth having. Uh, Dr. Kuby will actually be in North America this weekend. She's going to be joining uh, author Eric Metaxas uh, at Socrates in the City for a discussion that will include a lot of the things uh, that we've just been discussing. So maybe go ahead and check that out as well. The Socrates in the City discussions are generally well worth listening to. But I just thought that this discussion uh, really clarified a lot of things for me about what's taking place in Europe 
and also gave me a lot of courage and a lot of hope. And I hope that uh, some of you take the same things away from this discussion that I did, and and we'll be sure we'll be sure to have this guest on again. To start off, uh, the, in the title of your book, you talk about how the global sexual revolution is the destruction of freedom in the name of freedom. What do you mean by that? We are sold all this sexual liberation, uh, so-called liberation, under the flag of freedom. You will have more freedom. You will throw off the Christian yoke of morality that presses you down and that takes your enjoyment and lust away. And so this is the promise, this is the temptation, uh, which at, at the, but we, what we see, if we first look at the individual, if you have no control of your sexual drive, you sooner or later become addicted to sexuality, and addiction means the complete loss of freedom. That's on the individual level, and we see it with millions and millions of porn-addicted people. Mm -hmm. On the level of society, we see that this whole so-called liberation freedom movement is turning into a new kind of totalitarianism and taking away our democratic rights. And this is, those are really my, both, my most serious motivations for engaging in this battle. And I assume that this is why you wrote the book, is that you see social implications playing out, not just in the realm of academia, but also all around you? Exactly. Exactly. Well, if you, uh, if you take away all moral limitations of sexuality, uh, this just leads to the breakdown of family, and we are in the middle of it, and we see it in the statistics. But behind the statistics are uh, people, are lives of people, and uh, there's no freedom, there's just terrible sadness and depression and anxiety, which is skyrocketing in our societies. It's very interesting because the idea that uh, hyper-individualism will make somebody happy, the idea that living for yourself would make you happy, is very counterintuitive. Why do you think so many people bought into this idea that doing what I want to do, doing what makes me feel good, uh, how, how did they buy into this idea that that actually would bring them happiness, or did they just confuse happiness with, with momentary pleasure? Yes, it's, uh, it's the philosophy of hedonism. Hedonism says, uh, do everything which increases your pleasure or your lust in the sexual uh, area. And it's a temptation. Uh, we, we want satisfaction. We have this strong sexual drive. And this is the promise. And people who have lost their anchor in absolute values, which come through religion, which come through Christianity, they buy into this. And before they know it, uh, they are lose their freedom and are slaves of uh, of, of their sexual drive. So where did this, this hatred for the family come from? Because again, that seems yeah. to be counterintuitive as well. Traditionally speaking, it's, it's easy to understand why, why family is important. Those of us who, you know, have parents we love and family members we love and brothers and sisters that we love find the idea that family is oppressive to be fundamentally bizarre. How did this idea get traction as successfully as it did? 
Yes, that's the big question, and I do not have a satisfying answer. Uh, we, if we look into our own heart, we have this longing for lasting love, this longing for bonding and commitment. Mm-hmm. And every one of us knows how unhappy we get if our families break down. Mm-hmm. Every single child on this planet wants their biological parents to stay together in love until the end of their life. Mm-hmm. Of course, if there's violence or whatever, yeah, you, you, they m- might come to a point that this is uh, destructive. But basically, this is the yearning in our heart. So we have this yearning, which I think is a reflection of the love of God, the, the inner love in the triune God of total love to one another. Uh, it's a kind of reflection in our human heart uh, to have this longing for love. And the family is the place where this committed love can flourish. It's an art that it actually does flourish. It has been an art at all times, and it is difficult to really make it happen. It takes something from us. It takes overcoming our egoism, uh, and that's the family is the place to learn that. So it is again, uh, your question, it is indeed very, very strange, because if we look into our heart, we see that. So why is there this movement of smashing, of destroying the family? Mm -hmm. Uh, This sexual globe, it is a global revolution. This global sexual revolution doesn't come from from uh, from the basis of society, like other revolutions, like communism or... Or the French Revolution, there was huge injustice and the people roared up, uh, rose up uh, to fight these structures which which exploited them and so on. Uh What is happening now is a top-down revolution. Right. You know, where are the people who said we need, like like 10 years ago, what we really need is same-sex marriage. What we really need is uh, the 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 permission by law to change our sex it is all this madness doesn't come from the people it is imposed and and is, it is comes from the top and it goes down it filters down to the kindergartens so here we are with the question why we can see it is happening mm-hmm. we can prove it is happening but why is it happening I have insufficient answers. One answer is there is, since the 70s with the Kissinger Memorandum, there is an obvious strategy of the UN, the EU, the United States at the beginning to diminish population on this planet. Right. And if you if you destroy the family and do contraception, abortion, etc., etc., homosexual, all, homosexuality, all that, all that has an effect on diminishing the population. Uh, but I don't think it's a complete answer. Because it's just, it's interesting, all of what you say is true, and, and I've written extensively on uh, the sexual revolution as it unfolded here in North America with Margaret Mead, Alfred Kinsey, yeah. uh, all, all of those people. But one of the, the, uh, 
the questions I've always been interested in that you've partially answered is just how we, we managed to defy instinct. So my grandparents, for example, on my father's side, are 90 years old and 96 years old. They've been married for 71 years. They lived... They, they got that far because they lived for each other and for their children, not for themselves. And I don't know a single person who doesn't see them together and think, wow, that's beautiful. Wow, I would love to have that. Uh, regardless of whether they're, they're you know, very left-wing or regardless of whether they don't agree with the, the faith that my grandparents share with each other, there's this instinctive recognition that overrides all of those things. Yes, exactly. Yes, I mean, uh, it's not the format of an interview because you are meant to ask and I'm meant to give the answer. What is your, an what is your answer to that? What is your, why is the power, the elites of power and money, the Rockefellers, the, the, uh, the government's Obama administration at the, at the front of all this, uh, why at the UN, the European Union, why are they intentionally destroying the family? I have no answer. Why do they give so much power to the tiniest minorities? Homosexual people with same-sex attraction uh, are less than 3% of the population. Transgender is just our intersexuality, which is now a, a hype and, and creating a huge, huge, huge excitement everywhere. Mm -hmm. it's, the most, it's the tiniest fraction of population. What is going on? Yeah, maybe you start by explaining that. That was going to be my next question, because, of course, the, the, the crazy thing about the, the transgender phenomenon, uh, at least here in North America, I'm not as familiar with what's happening in Europe, is just that, that this phenomenon went from something almost nobody would ever heard about to something that was being taught to their kids virtually overnight. Uh, the one answer I have to how fast these sorts of things moves uh, in response to what you had brought up before is simply that conservative people dispositionally are too busy to be activists. By and large, uh, like just like my grandparents and my parents, they're you know raising their children, they're working hard for their children's education, whereas the people who are fighting on behalf of these gender ideologies obviously are by and large not doing those things, and they have a lot of time to dedicate to their personal ideological projects. There was one conservative radio host in, in the States who made a joke to an audience once. He said, um, can you imagine a left-wing activist with 10 kids? <laughs> and everybody just laughed because they instinctively knew that if that activist had 10 kids, they'd have better things to do. Uh, so I think that's sort of, I think that's one of the reasons that, that, uh, conservatives like my parents and my grandparents were caught so off guard by all of this is because they were busy living their lives and not working on ideological projects, which is why this yeah. snuck up on us. But I want to add, yeah, okay, you finish. I want to add something to that when you're finished. Yeah, and then I was just going to say, let's talk about the gender mainstreaming project uh, next, but what were you going to ask? Yeah, now I, w I wanted to say, uh, we are we, now there is an awakening happening mm -hmm. in our societies. It's for let's say for I would say for three years there's actually serious opposition against gender mainstreaming coming up. Yes. And George Soros, the billionaire with his open society who finances this whole battle, the global sexual revolution, same sex marriage campaigns, demonstrations against Trump, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, he's getting worried. Uh, that this term gender ideology is uh, being mainstreamed. It's now in the open. We know there is such a thing as gender mainstreaming. Uh, 
Um, I lost the thread. Uh, yes, I, I know what I wanted to say. Um, you were explaining uh, there are no left-wing activists with 10 kids. No, there are not. Uh, there are no left-wing activists who believe anything, who have faith in anything. They are not, not existence. They just try to destroy the church. Yes. Uh, uh, and the Christians, for a very long time, had this idea, oh, we are tolerant. Let everyone live as they like. Uh, they are a small minority. It will not touch our life. We can live our life as we have always lived it. Let them have what they want. I think that was a kind of uh, basic feeling in the, in the Christian population. Uh, and with faith at the same time diminishing, 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 diminishing. So people have no inner criteria to decide is this good or is this bad. They can be bought in by all this uh, this use of abuse, one must say, of these concepts like human rights and discrimination and tolerance and uh, and uh, what else? Um, well, all these these words which are being used, human rights, of course, equality, equality being presented as uh, a means to justice, justice, which is simply a communist idea. Uh, so it was a kind of standing back thinking, I can live, we can live our life as we have always done. And now people are beginning to realize, no, this is not true. They are getting after our children. Yeah, they, this, uh, the sexual education which is happening in, uh, in obligatory uh, curricula in schools, uh, it is just robbing the children. The state is just robbing the children uh, from their parents. So what even is this, the gender mainstreaming project? Most people still aren't quite sure what it, exactly it is that's going on. Now, you've studied this very in depth. So just explain to our listeners what this project actually consists of. Yes. At this time, in the English language has two uh, terms. One is sex and one is gender. And up to the 1970s, gender was mostly used, if not only used, for discerning the genus, the, the gender of a word in grammar. Yeah, the, the words have, they're feminine, masculine, or neuter in Germany. In the German language, this is very elaborate, mm -hmm. uh, and more so than in the English language. And that is what the term gender signified. And sex was what is your sex in any form you had to fill in, what is your sex, female or male. Then slowly, slowly, uh, this term gender was being used also for maleness or femaleness. And then the great breakthrough of this term uh, well, actually, uh, I was, was 1995, the political breakthrough was 1995 at the UN conference in Beijing, which was in the hands of the women conference, in the hands of radical feminists. But before that, the clarion call, the theoretical clarion call had been sounded by the uh, U.S. philosopher Judith Butler. And she wrote a book and, uh, called 
Gender Trouble, Gender Trouble, Feminism and the Subversion of Identity. Mm. So she says it in the title. She says, what I'm after is the subversion of identity of man and woman. It's in the title. The book is in a philosophical gibberish, which is just the ugliness of it should, uh, should show you that the ideas uh-huh. are ugly, which are presented. Uh, and, and, but what it causes is, oh, she must know more than I. Oh, this is so complicated. She has deeper insights than I have. Yeah, this would be yeah. ordinary. The reaction of the ordinary reader would be that. And she sets out to say, we want to destroy the binary structure of male and female in society in all areas. It's a fantasy. It's a phantasma. We only think we are male and female because we are told from babyhood onwards, because we are dressed in pink and blue. And this is the only, and because the language always keeps uh, pretending, in her sense, pretending to us that it matters whether we are male and female. She even goes so far as that the biological sex doesn't really have any relevance for the human being. So she puts out this mad theory, and I must really admire her that she didn't expect that she would be put in a lunatic asylum for this kind of thing, <laughs> or, you know, just, just ignored, right. just totally ignored. But the opposite happened. She was funded by the Rockefeller Foundation. She's a member of the Guggenheim Foundation. Oh, yeah. She, she, yes. She received just recently, two or three years ago, the honorary doctorate of the European University of Fribourg. She is a, a, a visiting professor at the European Graduate School in Switzerland. She has an assistant professor at Columbia University. She's a professor in, in the California University. And she gets huge awards. Uh, the Mellon Prize for, for her homosexuality. She's a lesbian, a proclaimed lesbian. So she is, she is carried on the hands. You know, they, she's given as much influence as the elites of this world possibly can. And the big question is why? Why, why, why? Why do the, the Rockefellers and, and, uh, and the heads of the UN, the heads of the United Nations, why do they want to destroy identity? Destroying identity means destroying the marriage and family. Uh, so gender uh, was then used at the, uh, at the Women's Conference in Beijing in 1995 in the hands of radical feminists. Bella Abzug was the great woman there, uh, to be introduced into international documents of the UN. And it is, again, very, very far-sighted to say we need a second term for the sex of a human being, uh, because the theory is uh, there's biological sex, but what really matters is the social gender people have, and this can be manipulated and destructed and subverted. I was going to ask you why, but I think that you've already explained that there's, that's the difficult part of this to understand, is why somebody 
would want this project to take place. Um, What are some examples from Europe of how this is now manifesting itself in real life? I could give you a couple of dozen examples from from Canada and the United States, but how is this manifesting itself uh, on your side of the pond? Okay. Uh, It is in the EU documents and UN documents. It's always LGBT. Now letters have been added. Okay. Uh, so uh, L is lesbian, gay for gay, B for bisexual, T for transsexual. Transsexual means uh, a person is biologically uh, fine, but uh, says uh, wants to change uh, voluntarily their sex. Uh, and then I, which is intersexuality, intersexuality means there are biological deviances. It happens in nature. You know, people have six thumb, uh, six fingers or whatever, all sorts of things happen. So there's a very, very small minority of a minority who have this kind of problem, who have kind of ambivalent sexual organs. And then another letter is added, queer. Right. Queer, queer is uh, an invention uh, which wants to get out of the kind of polarity of homosexual attraction and heterosexual attraction. Uh, It just wants to blur everything, to deconstruct everything. So uh, I think the the motivation is so that that people of same-sex attraction are not in any way other than than, than the big minority of society. So you are asking, how is this manifesting? Uh, it is manifesting, and I think this is the, really the most serious part, in what is being taught to children in kindergarten and schools. And this is going on in Germany since the 70s, actually. This hedonistic uh, concept of sexuality has taken over, and the sexuality education, which was introduced after the 68, 1968 rebellion in the 70s into schools, has this hedonistic concept of sexuality. Do everything which, which, which increases, which feels good. You can do anything that feels good. We teach you contraception. We teach you abortion. So that started in the 70s. And that is increasing in its radicalness and uh, more and more and more and more. So children in kindergarten are given children's books where the prince marries the prince. Right. They have to get used to the idea that there are different types of family. They are all the same. They are all of same value. There's this old traditional family, father, mother, children. And then there are single mothers and then there are rainbow families, and then there are patchwork families. Again, children books, where all these families are portrayed as just different types, like different types of cars. One is as good as the other. That's a lie. There's only one good family that is father, mother, a married couple with children. This is what our heart longs for. We have spoken about this. And the other types of family are broken families with very, very severe psychological consequences on the people who live, have to live in these broken families. 
single mothers have uh, we have now 10, 20% of the of the so-called families are single mothers most of them mothers some fathers and 60% live in poverty yeah so this is not it's not a normal type of family patchwork families means that the people uh, the the children just don't know where they belong rainbow families so-called rainbow families uh, of two same sex people with children however they get hold of children which they cannot uh, give life themselves yeah we, uh, how how can we do that to children? How can we do that to children? Children uh, rob them, rob them of their biological father or mother by artificial insemination, uh, or uh, give them to, to, in, into adoption. Uh, so if we go into this, it's an, it's, we go into an area of darkness, and it's just appalling that we allow all this to happen. Yeah, one of the, one of the points that I think often gets missed is is what the activists are actually saying. So that when they say two men or two women um, can raise a, a child just as well as a man and a woman, what they're actually saying is that either the father or the mother isn't necessary, which is a far more radical thing to say than I think most people really realize if they stop to think about what the implication of these statements is. Mm. It's a very, it's a, a terrible destiny. Uh, if you, if a child loses a, uh, his or her father or his or her mother, or even both, and is an orphan, uh, you know, in the fairy tales, uh, this destiny is always it's it's an, a theme, an issue. So this is very very hard on a child. Until recently, the adoption agencies did everything possible to find a couple, a married couple until recently, who would replace and would give a home and a family to that poor child. Now, uh, in, in the UK, uh, the, these children have to be uh, given to same-sex couples. What are we doing to these children? And they're robbed They've lost their parents, or one of their parents, and now they're robbed of what allows a human being to grow and flourish and have a normal psychological development by having a mother and a father, and we know they are different and they know they have different functions. Yeah, just one thing, the LGBTIQ at the beginning, we were only concerned. We thought, oh, all this talk about homosexuality. It was all, all, all the time there was homosexuality. Mm-hmm. But there's a B. There's a B, bisexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we have, we have these anti-discrimination laws, which was introduced in the Amsterdam contract in uh, 1999 as a criterion for non-discrimination, sexual orientation. Yeah, and we were sort of, nobody knew that this was happening. This was a crucial, crucial political move. And it's not just homosexuals, it's bisexuals. How do bisexuals live? A man, a woman, both? You know, marriage is gone. The possibility of marriage is totally gone. Then the T, it was always LGBT. The T, transsexuals. How do transsexuals live? And now the discussion, can they marry 
so it is advancing and advancing and advancing. Now, here's uh, something that's quite interesting. I, I've interviewed uh, Peter Hitchens several times. Oh, yes, great. On a number of different topics. One of the topics that we've 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 discussed extensively. I interviewed him on this for my own book. Uh, was on what the purpose of sex education initially was. One of the things that, if uh, if you've heard Peter Hitchens speak yourself, though, um, that that's very notable about his work is that he has an extraordinarily gloomy look about about virtually everything uh and which which makes discussing these topics with him both enlightening and a, and a little depressing but in your book you have a whole chapter on the resistance uh to for example gender mainstreaming as we've talked about earlier there's sort of an instinctive pushback to to some yeah. of these things that are taking place i've written recently about what's going on here in Canada, too, that I genuinely think that transgenderism may prove to be the bridge too far for a lot of people. We're seeing a lot of liberal columnists and very left-wing people who are saying, no, this is, this is too far. You know, if Joe and Bob uh -huh. want to get married, I don't care, but Joe can't get pregnant. That's not a thing. Right, it's mm -hmm. not something that I, that I, I I can believe. So, what are some examples of of encouragement that you see and resistance you see to this sort of thing? Yes. I mean, the, the very surprising movement was Manif pour tous in France. Uh, in 2013, all of a sudden, from, from zero to a hundred, uh, you know, it, it, it just rose out of nowhere. There were a million people on the street protesting same-sex marriage. I was actually there at the very first demonstration, and it went on for half a year. Through all of France, millions of people mobilized. But the people in power, Hollande was the president at the time, just did not care and pulled through and legalized same-sex marriage, as happened uh, last year and summer within one week in Germany and other countries. Uh, this is, so there are movements. In Germany, there is a small movement called Demo für Alle. It's kind of a mirror of what was happening in France, but much, much smaller. And uh, we rose, we went on the streets to protest against one more radicalization in sexual education, which the green uh, government in a part of Germany put on. And they actually had to modify it a little bit. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's not a very big victory. But at least there is now resistance. And as soon as resistance, all this ha happened over decades now, was silence from our side uh -huh. and no resistance. Parents just let it go. They're glad the school is doing it. It's embarrassing for them and so on. And as soon as resistance arises, uh, they become careful. You know, they, they say, oh, uh, we just go as far as we can, but if resistance arises, uh, they uh, the, the atmosphere changes. So there is this demonstration. Then, of course, uh, on a larger level, uh, conservative parties uh, and even governments are, are suddenly springing up in many countries in Europe, as in the United States. I mean, the atmosphere is very changed in, in, in the United States through the presidency of, of Trump. And this is happening in Europe, too. Uh, these conservative right-wing parties are demonized, and they are demonized not only by the political elite, but they are demonized by the media, who don't have the job of demonizing parties, but they have the job of, give, uh, of presenting objective news to us. 
they have lost this ethic of journalism, which is really, really very serious. Uh, so, and, and people, are, there's lots of literature now in Germany. I, I, when I wrote my first book against gender ideology, it's called The Gender Revolution, Relativism in Action. That was in 2006. People thought she's crazy, she's exaggerating, oh, this is, you know, and now they don't think that. And there are many, there's discussion, it's out in the open now. What about uh, some other countries? I noticed that in quite a few other countries, it's just, when I, when I use the phrase a, a bridge too far, I think that does describe it well. It's, it's this idea that I think that a lot of, of not only Christians, but just sort of, you know, average people genuinely believed uh, the LGBT movement when they said, once we can get married, we'll leave you alone. Right? This is, we just want to be accepted like everybody else, and then we're done. And when that proved not to be the case, I think that there's a lot of people, at least this is true in Canada and the United States, who felt like one end of a social contract had been broken. And they said, okay, well, you know what, we gave you the rights that, that you asked for, or we thought you deserved those rights, and now you're going after somebody who won't, who won't decorate a wedding cake for you. Or now you're suing some Catholic couple because you won't host a lesbian wedding on their farm. Right. Right? right? So there there are a lot of people who are just kind of fed up with this whole thing. Do you see that in Europe as well? I'm not sure. Uh, whether I mean, we have a very, very powerful lobby behind it. Uh, gender studies is taught. There are 200 professors, 98% are women, who teach gender studies at our universities. They are educating the next academic generation. And there's a climate at the universities. You have to adhere to gender ideology uh, to, for your career, for getting uh, uh, grants and so on. Uh-huh. And uh, so they are still very powerful in the academia and they are powerful in the media. Uh, now, Spain, I think, has just uh, uh, making a law which is absolutely uh, pro-LGBT. Uh, so uh, people are awakening, but I don't see that the tide is turning yet. One final question, because I've, I've seen that, that horrible things have not only been said about you, but you and, and people who advocate for the same positions as you have actually been targeted. Is that true? Oh, yes, of course, yeah. I mean, many examples for that. I I'm, have had demonstrations in front of the hall where I spoke several times. They hold up signs uh, in German. It's Wehre den Anfängen. Go against the beginnings, which means, are ah, there the Nazis again? Yeah, in Germany this works perfectly. As right. soon as you uh, slander somebody as right as, as right radical, which happens, I have nothing to do with it at all. Uh, I do, you know, I despise uh, any kind of of uh, right radical uh, Nazi leaning uh, uh, politics, but they use it. They use it because it works, and it's being used by the media. By and and you try to to protest, and yes, uh, well, even uh, you're not terribly successful because they have the power. Uh, there's a play. Uh, it had its premiere in November 2015 in Berlin, where five women are portrayed. Life News uh, uh, reported on it. Uh, one of them is me, 
we have with big photographs on stage, uh, the actors poke out our eyes. Wow. And they say, these are zombies that have risen from the grave uh, where we hoped they were buried in 1945. And they, again, they are, uh, they are, you know, old Nazis who have uh, sort of resurrected. Uh, and how can you get rid of them only by shooting them in the head? That's wow. actually the, the script of the of the theater play, um, and they they manipulate quotations from me. My voice says on stage in that play. The play is called Fear. The director is Falk Richter. My voice says we need fascists, uh, fascists and fascistin, the masculine and the feminine form. It's a total manipulation. I say at one place we need, at another place I speak about gender language. We always have to double now, use the men, feminine and masculine form all the time. Uh, and uh, that was just pure manipulation. And I took them to court, and the court said, this is freedom of art. Uh, but I'm going to the next stage in this. Uh, what is the legal term if you, if you take it one further up? You, appe you appeal the decision. Exactly. I appeal the decision, and, we, uh, and this year this is, uh, we see how the next level of the court will, will judge. So things like this happen, or YouTube just, I had an interview with, uh, with uh, Church in Need, they have a little TV station, and they interviewed me some years ago, what is the uh, position of the Catholic Church to homosexuality? So for half an hour, I explain catechism, and I explain studies, perfectly uh, uh, moderate, and just recently YouTube told Church in Need, if you don't take this down from your website, we will close your YouTube, YouTube channel. Wow. Yes, so uh, this kind of thing is happening. Well, we wish you all the best in your ongoing struggle. Yes, thank you very much. We are together in the battle. Yeah. And you know, I want to say one thing. Uh, one of the joys of being in this work is to meet true disciples of Christ all over the planet. Uh, and I think there is actually, a, at the same time, uh, Jesus Christ is God, is in charge, and he's preparing something new. And what I can experience is that everywhere where I'm invited, and this is now in, in faraway countries, uh, I meet people who are really called by Jesus and who put their life into this because they feel they have to fight for the truth of the human being. Right. Uh, and the spirit in which we fight is quite different from the spirit of the, op uh, the opposite uh, side. We fight because we are, because our mind and heart is captivated by the truth of God and the human being created in the likeness of God as man and woman. And we feel we have to stand up for this. But we say with David fighting Goliath, the battle belongs to the Lord. We don't know how it will all turn out, but we have faith that God is in charge. I agree completely. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you very much for interviewing me. All the best to the listeners. God yeah. bless.